Hello and welcome to the Pro Football Network Miami Dolphins podcast. I'm your host, Matt Infante, joined as always by Adam H. Beasley. And, and Adam, this past weekend, saw Laramie Tunsil's team win a playoff game. <laughs> saw Dan Campbell's team win a playoff game. Saw Todd Bowles' team win a playoff game. None of those teams were the Miami Dolphins. Instead, the Dolphins did what they've done this entire century. The few times they're lucky enough to actually make the playoffs. And that's fail. Um, and now the, the NFL's longest playoff drought, uh, as far as wins go, resides in Miami. So how are you, Adam? It, are the Dolphins now the worst team of the 21st century? They uh, are. I think, it's, I think it's either them or the Browns, right? Those yeah. are the only two now that you can truly consider the worst team. And, and, and the Browns since 2009, I guess, you know, obviously the Dolphins made the playoffs in 2008. The Browns have as many playoff games as the Dolphins do because they won one. So they have, even though they have two appearances, they have three playoff games, same as the Dolphins. Yeah, okay. And the, you know, you are the company you keep, right? And the Dolphins for the longest time were there with the Lions for the playoff win drought. The Lions got their win, uh, led by former Dolphin interim head coach Dan Campbell. Um, but also, only two other teams have not made, let me rephrase this. Since the Dolphins last won a playoff game, so got to the divisional round, Every AFC team has reached the AFC championship game, except for the Texans and Browns. Every and other Texans team has the, the, made the AFC title game, and the Dolphins, in the time the Dolphins have been unable to reach a divisional round. That, that's where the, we're at right now. The, the Texans are a win away from. And the Texans are a win away. It, it, you that know, I mean, they're what, 10 point underdogs, but crazier things have happened. Yeah, so it's not good in Dolphin land, right? I mean, it's. It, it, it's not. <laughs> We we did not if we were sitting here in October, early November and said this was going to be the outcome of the season, uh, you would have probably quit this podcast and uh, become a Bills fan, right? Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Um my funny, my son it claims that he's a Dolphins fan, but his third favorite team are the Bills. And his second's the Cowboys, by the way. So he had a rough weekend. Um but <laughs> yeah, the Bills are his third favorite team. And he's like, you know, Daddy, how come the Bills, how come you don't like the Bills? How come you don't like them more than the Dolphins? They win more. Thank you. Thank you, I mean, six-year-old. Very valid question. I'm not going to yeah. lie to you. There's a lot of truth in our youth, and that's – it's spot on. I, I, you, you know who is the ultimate Dolphins fan? <clears throat> the ultimate Dolphins fan is the uh, person who went and sat in 30 below windchill to watch that debacle, Okay. Uh, travel costs were exorbitant as our CFO, you know, how, how expensive the flight was out there. It was not cheap. Uh, and the good news is you had savings on the actual ticket price of the game because nobody wanted to go. Wanted to go. The upper deck was probably a third empty. Um, but you know, you, you're a true blue or I guess aqua dolphins fan. If you're going to go and watch that because, well, um, you probably did turn blue. Let's let's be clear. <laughs> uh, that night. And I hate to say I told you so, but we all kind of saw this coming, right? We we th- this was this was the logical outcome of the last month that we've all our shared experience of the last month was them going uh, to Arrowhead and their offense just not showing up because their offense never shows up on the road against good teams. And their defense hang on for as long as they could uh, with literally dudes coming in off the streets 
to to play for them. I mean, they had what were they? The, the joke on Twitter was it was the washed Avengers. You know, you're bringing all these former superheroes for one last hurrah. Um, if they made an like an Avengers movie now, it's probably how it would end. Just yeah. the bad guys would win because the, the actual Avengers are so old. Um, that was what we saw, and I don't think anybody should be surprised by it. it doesn't mean any make it any less painful. Well, maybe it does. I mean, I was talking to people recently, and like this was the accepted stage, right? You've been grieving for the last three weeks, uh, and anger certainly was part of that. When you know you lose to the Titans, and then uh, you get absolutely you know knockered by the Ravens on the road, uh, and then every opportunity to beat the Bills, and you can't do it. Um, they got what they deserve, right? Yeah the the the, the game. Like you said, it wasn't a surprise, and it probably were in the acceptance stage. Where I found myself back in anger was watching then the next day when the Steelers went into Orchard Park, knowing that you don't blow the Titans game, and that's the Steelers going into Miami. And that's just a, it, it, that became hard to, to, to accept, more so than the outcome of the game at Arrowhead. Yeah, right? and, 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 and if, if and everything if they, else played out the way it did, against the Bills week 18, the Ravens week 17, but you don't blow the Titans game, the Bills would have been in Arrowhead in the wild card round and the Steelers would have been at Hard Rock Stadium. And and yeah, that, I mean, we don't we don't know for sure game. they we don't know for sure they would have beaten the Cowboys in Earth 2, but let's just assume they did, right? Right. Um so in that Earth 2, uh, there's basically no questions about the Miami Dolphins going into the offseason. They they, you know, not know, but it's a completely different feel. Uh, because my guess is Tua would look pretty good at home against the Pittsburgh Steelers uh, in a climate-controlled setting uh, against a team without its best player. So all these, you know, the 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 the, the bleep storm that's falling down to his head right now doesn't really happen. I mean, yeah, they they would have gone where they well, they would have hosted the Chiefs. They would have hosted the Chiefs. Around. Who knows? Who, Who knows? knows? I know. Uh, and I but even see why Dolphin fans got angry, right? They're yeah, thinking I, about I could, I, could, I could have seen that game being a lot more competitive in Miami than it was in Kansas City. So they might not have won, but they didn't get blown out the entire season at home. So it, it would have been, oh, man, we lost by a possession to the, the defending champs in the divisional round. Completely different situation. Yeah. And it's all because they couldn't hold a 14-point lead with three minutes to play against the terrible Tennessee Titans and their rookie quarterback, Will Levis. Yeah, that's that's when, when I look back on the season, that will be the defining moment in, in my head as a fan. When, when, when years from now we're looking back at all the painful losses and what ifs, I mean, that's going to be one of the big ones. But the game on Saturday night, um, I, I, I think we'd be remiss just to gloss over because I think for as 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 large as the, the deficit was to end the game, there were moments in the game where you felt like they could have gotten back into it. Um, and, and, and you look at it and I, I say to myself, well, there was a ton of throws behind the line of scrimmage, right? And, and there was a ton of throws, you know, less than 10 yards, but, but really the, 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 at the line and right behind the line. And it makes me wonder what that says. And you guys, you guys being the, the Miami people who were assembled in Miami, ask McDaniel, that's right. Did they not trust Tua in that situation? Or is it just really bad play calling and, 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 and scheming and either answer doesn't make me comfortable, but McDaniel, you know, had, had said during the, the, um, I guess the, the clean out press conference there that, um, no, it had nothing to do with, you know, not trusting him. 
and his arm. Do you, do you believe that? I that's that's what I want to ask you. I I don't because the alternative is he's just he was really bad at play calling and scheming and, and adjusting, which could be true as well. Um, but there are so many moments, and I think back particularly before I ask you what your thoughts were. I think back to a boy. I think it was they were trailing thirteen seven uh, late in the first half, and they had the ball at the Chiefs forty something yard line, forty four yard line. They had a third and one and a fourth and one. And those two plays were passes behind the line of scrimmage to HN and then Tyreek Hill. They can't convert. And then, you know, the Chiefs kick a field goal before halftime, 16-7, and it goes off. In an alternate world, they either run the ball there, which goes to my play calling question there. They had four straight runs in that sequence to start that possession where they gained eight, four, three, and six yards. And then a third and one and fourth and one, you go to the air with throws behind the line. And and okay, do you not trust throw it, uh, Tua to throw it for the first down, or and do you not trust the the running game there to get you the, the yard? You know, so is it play calling? Is it trust in Tua? Is it both? That was the moment that really um, probably angered me the most watching it and made me question McDaniel to an extent. Yeah, no, and, and those are valid questions. I would just say that he has a lot more information than we do, and I don't think he he's a smart guy. He, he is a smart guy and he thinks through a lot. And if they thought they could win the ball, win the game by running the ball between the tackles, power running, go and get those tough yards and to throw their deep intermediate passing game across the middle that has won them a lot of games and set records for the team and all that this year, he would have done it. Like, it's not like he just, oh, no, no, those plays stick. No, it's an enormous, like Connor Williams injury, really hurt their ability to run up the middle, right? Really hurt their – like they still had their edge game. Their edge game was still fine because they have two really good tackles they can run behind and they can – they have fast running backs that, you know, they can get to the edge. But when you just need to man up and run between the tackles, Raheem Mostert, not 100% certainly, and he is the closest thing that they have had consistently to a power back. I know Jeff Wilson um, probably is a little bit better at that, but for whatever reason, Raheem Mostert's been that guy. And their, their offensive line was like, you know, their interior offensive line were two guys that shouldn't be on the field. And, and, and so to me, yes, you can pull your hair out and maybe he should have been more risky with some of those play calls to go do the things that are obvious, but he thinks we're going to fail. Maybe he shouldn't like bleep it. I, these are the best calls, even if, you know, we don't think they're going to succeed. I think that's bad coaching, but whatever. Um, but the alternative is alternative is nine passes behind the line of scrimmage. I mean, that's insane to think about nine. They, he, they had nine passes behind the line of scrimmage, 10 passes beyond 10 yards. And this is quote unquote, the most explosive offense in football, which is obviously laughable at this point. It's not even close to the most explosive offense in football. Um, but that's, that's what he believed was the best way to win. And so you can either think he's a complete and utter moron or there's a lot going on beneath the surface that we need to account for. Or it's somewhere in the middle, perhaps. Um, I mean, I, I think there are a lot of times we sat here and said, boy, McDaniel really um, outthought himself here, right? And, and I think maybe this is one of those cases. I don't know. He has more information. But it was incredibly frustrating. And I think the worst part was as, as the pre-snap, you see some of the movement you could, everyone knew some of these passes were coming. The, you mm-hmm. know, the, 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 the pass to Tyreek behind the line, like the, those things were so predictable too, 
which made it even more frustrating. And yeah, I, 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 they weren't effective. Yeah, I do think their offense got a little stale as the season went yeah. on. Uh, and that's really, I think, the evolution. We talked about Tua's evolution, and we're going to talk a ton about Tua in this podcast. But I think McDaniel's evolution is you get about a month and a half, two months into the season in, and the first month and a half, two months, it's all brand new Mike McDaniel ideas, right? He has had six, seven months to think about, hey, this is how teams figured this out. This is our next step. And then there's six, seven, eight games of film on the Dolphins, and everyone figures them out. And and you just repeat the cycle again and again and again. And that's kind of the nature of your offense. I mean, gimmicky is not the right word, but misdirection and, you know, speed-oriented and – your quarterback's got limitations in certain ways, and you know certain plays just aren't going to be called for him. That's the outcome you get. And I don't know what the answer is aside from build an offense that can do the traditional things well, right? Line up and just run the football. Run a deep post without having to do seven different motions and you know, and, and trying to trick the defense. Um, do they need a big rangy AJ you know Brown type of wide receiver right that I think that's that, I think that's a fair question right because they don't have that and or Tua and Jalen Waddle is that combination going to win as the season goes on I I, I don't know so I, I do think they're going to look at all these things and they're going to you know if, if you want to be the the, the Pollyannish guy all your guys were hurt like their four top four skill position players were hurt uh, going into that game. We didn't get a fair representation of what that offense was. I think that's kind of a ridiculous cop out. I do because you still had Tyree Kill, Jalen Waddle, Raheem Mostert, and Devon Achan in that game. Right? You go into a game with those four dudes, you know, two good tackles, and your starting quarterback. You got to score more than seven. Yeah, if I had told an observer of Saturday's game in Kansas City who had never watched the Dolphins before this game that one side of the ball was decimated by injuries, um, they would have guessed that it was the offense that was without <laughs> five key players, not not the defense, right? Right. And, and that's an indictment on a lot of things, right? From from the game plan, the execution, all of it. Do you do you think that if the, I guess the way to put it is, is I want to get to a talk, but not completely dismiss the game, yeah. Do you think that if all those dudes would have been healthy, it would have made a difference? No. No. Well, let me ask you this. Would the game plan have been different? If they if they threw out the same exact, you know. Well, I mean, I, I haven't gone and watched the tape yet, but was, was Waddle getting separation? Like, was he, was he running in mud because of his injury? I mean, Tyreek's been banged up for a while. He... <laughs> Even he joked on Twitter about he got uh, he got blasted his butt into Cancun by some of those yeah. jams, right? Um, that wasn't a function of him being hurt. That was a function of them just having big, strong dudes who were going to shove him to the ground. Yeah, I I don't know what the answer for that is aside from have him off the line of scrimmage at the snap, so they can't do that to him, right? That's the only answer is that uh, if they're going to commit to you know, hey, we're not afraid of – because if, if you swing and you miss, he's got a touchdown, right? You play that defense and you swing and you miss, he's got a touchdown. They didn't seem to care. They, they, had, they had confidence that they weren't going to miss. Um, so you play them off the line, you do some other things. 
But that's where you need maybe a 6'3", 225 wide receiver that they thought Chase Claypool was going to be for them, who obviously was not, um, who can withstand that kind of defense, right? That's that's the next step. That's next evolution. Does Tua like those kind of wide receivers? Like, he had Devontae Parker. I know Parker's not you know, the level we're talking about here, but it didn't seem to like throwing to him very much. He There is a reason the Miami Dolphins went out and got Tyreek Hill and built the fastest offense in the history of the National Football League because they believe that's the best way to maximize Tua Tungabailoa. And it probably is. Like, God, let's let's step back for a second. Tua had a career year, right? Tua led the league in passing. Tua is a first-time uh, starting Pro Bowl quarterback. Tua, top five in basically every statistical category. And tw- 24 months ago, we were wondering if he should even be in the league. Right, we should be not in the league. He'd be at that backup somewhere. But is he is he a guy you build your franchise around? And so, uh, I think what we saw as the season went on was what's going to happen when you have a quarterback who relies on timing and speed, and their speed guides get hurt, and the timing gets screwed up because the weather sucks, and you can't make the throws that you need to make the throw. You need to throw. Uh, when it's 30 below and the wind's blowing sideways, right? Like that's maybe that's more of what we found out. Granted, the Bills game was at home, so you can't use that excuse. But it wasn't, you know, it wasn't beautiful in Baltimore. It wasn't certainly not beautiful in Kansas City. Um, there's a reason that two was 10 and 11 in December and January with a passer rating, I think, under 85, right? It's not just a coincidence. Like you're not always playing the best teams in December and January, right? Um, so I, I, I think these are all things that are part of the equation. I'm not giving absolution to to McDaniel. Certainly, no. I mean, there are there are things that they could have been, done better. Um, but it would be nice to have a quarterback that, when your play caller screws up, can still make a positive play. Yeah, and that's watching all the games this weekend. Um, you saw that a lot, and and, and that is something I mean, we did see Tua run a little bit, huh? He he, he picked up what two first downs with yep. his legs, which is something we yep. have not seen. Um, he looked a little bit more nimble than I thought he looked this year, to be honest. Um, but not quite as athletic and nimble as he looked his you know his rookie year. But he he also bulked up for health reasons, so we we, we get that. Um, but certainly there's an element of being able to, you know, make those plays, especially late in the season when, uh, the, the first, it's not, people want to go to the first read thing. It's not the first read. It's broken plays in general, right? Mm -hmm. Getting outside the pocket, keeping a play alive and then doing something with it. And, um, he probably has taken a step back in that regard from what we saw where he was probably doing that a little bit more often pre McDaniel. Than he was with McDaniel. Oh here. yeah, I mean, he, he was a guy whose entire philosophy is there's no such thing as a dead play. Yeah, and it's the reason his hip exploded against Mississippi State because he was extending a play that shouldn't have been extended. Um, maybe the pendulum has swung too far in the other direction. Uh, I, you know, you go back and look. I, I, I think I'm, I saw the same YouTube clip uh, you were talking about or Twitter clip uh, about him against the Cardinals, looking like you know Houdini out there. Yep. It was 25 pounds ago and probably three concussions ago. Okay. I don't know if that version of Tua Tagovailoa is ever coming back because he can't sustain that. Like, right. He's, yeah. His body will break down and he'll be out of the league quickly and potentially have long term health risks. Like, <laughs> there's a reason he considered retirement 12 months ago. 
because it hurts physically for him to play the game of football. And there were concerns whether or not another hit to the head would be very, very bad for him. So I get it. I, all these things, I understand why the decisions were made in the moment. The question is, is do you want to continue to go down this road? We talked to, you know, Greer and McDaniel uh, yesterday at length at their, um, their postmortem you were talking about and um, their intention. And I, I, I think we need to kind of parse some of the words. Their intention is to have Tua Tonga Bailoa here long-term playing at a high level. Some of those things are beyond their control. They can't control if Tua plays at a high level A. Um, that's largely a Tua thing. Um, and, and B, your intention could be have could be to have a guy around for a long time, um, but it takes two to tango, right? Um, is a long time three years, which is the fifth year option in two franchise franchise tags, which by the way is not that cost prohibitive. <laughs> you go and look at it. 2024 uh, fifth-year options, what, $23 million? Yep. Um, let's say they don't have the 2025 franchise tags. Or so, you know, it depends on the cap and uh, quarterback contracts and all that. Uh, but let's just say for the sake of argument, his number in 2025 would be $50 million and 2026 would be $60 million because it, you know, it increases 20% year over year. So you put that all together, that's – more or less $135 million over the next three years, which by the way, isn't it's 45 million AAV. And we're going to get into, a, I think the weeds a little bit about that. Um, so yeah, having him here for a long time, that's th- three years, a, a lifetime in the national football league. Is that what they're talking about? They probably don't want to do that because of their salary cap situation. They're 40 some million dollars over the cap in 2024. Uh, they can find a, a fair amount of relief by, by making obvious moves. And we can get into all that as well if you want, but the easiest way to lower your cap number is to bring $23 million down to five or $6 million or $8 million, whatever it is that they could do by giving them a long-term deal. But there are trade-offs when you do that. Then you're, you know, right now they, they know for a fact, like if they wanted to rid themselves of Tua Tungabaloa today, don't think that's a wise decision, but if they wanted to do that, they could. Somebody would trade for Tua Tungabaloa for a one year, $23 million contract. A team that needs a quarterback would do that because he would be, I mean, beyond quarterbacks on a rookie deal, probably one of the five to ten lowest paid quarterbacks in the league. There is good value doing that. He is better than that for sure. Um, but I don't think they want to do that. And I think they, the point they made yesterday, my sense is, Vante, is that they want to see this thing through. They want to see what they built have not their defense completely fall apart, make some strategic you know, improvements, maybe not blow a 14-point lead with three minutes to go against a rookie quarterback, and see what they've got. I think That's my guess. I, my, my guess is they're going to run it back in 2024. The question is, how much do you commit yourself to this quarter beyond 2024? And I think that's the question of the offseason. And, and it all starts with Tua. So – you had done some research, right? And I'm curious, what do you think? You looked at a lot of quarterback contracts. Mm-hmm. And knowing all, all the concerns that you mentioned about, I mean, nothing's changed. Yeah, he had no concussions this year, but nothing's changed about what might happen with one really bad concussion. Does he reconsider retirement? We don't know. 
Um, but yeah, certainly he deserves credit for you know making it through 18 games. So, you know, certainly everyone questioned if he could do that, and he proved he could. Um, and that's with getting hit a decent amount towards you know late in the season. Yeah, he was not touched often early on, but as the season went on and, and the offensive line attrition, you know, really um did a number to to that unit. Uh he still, you know, he was getting hit and getting back up. Um so it's so a credit to him. But that's still a concern, right? Long term health. Um I also wonder, and no one's talked about it. I always in the back of my mind, is there any long-term issues with the hip, right? Is that they're going to be in an arthritic situation in, in five years? Can you give them an eight-year contract? Like, you know, how much do you want to commit? And then there is the performance, right? And how the whole entire offense against good teams was bad. And, and he's part of it. He, he shoulders a lot of that blame as a quarterback. But when you average 15 points per game against the playoff teams and uh, I think Barry Jackson had the numbers where they had 71 possessions in those seven games and only 12 ended with touchdowns. Like that's an indictment on Tua and the rest of the offense. But now how much do you want to commit to the person who is at the center of that offense that was ineffective against the best teams in the NFL this year? Yeah, certainly. He, let's begin here. Okay. If the Dolphins pay him at or near the top of the market, they will all be fired in the next three years. I mean, I don't think that's, uh, it's not hyperbole um, because what so define need... way the, the define at the top of the market fifty five million a year is that okay so the, the the highest paid player in the National Football right now history of the National Football League is Joe Burrow uh, he signed uh, last summer a five year two hundred and seventy five million dollar contract extension that comes out to fifty five million dollars AAV so you would have to think okay so anything a dollar more than that uh, would be the highest paid player you know in National Football League history. Here's what you're forgetting. The cap goes up every single year. Okay. The cap goes up between five, eight, nine percent every single year. I think this year it's projected, the cap is projected to be $242.5 million, which would be an increase of 7.9% over 2023. And that's when all, by the way, all those contemporaries sign their contracts. Joe Burrow, Justin Herbert, uh, Damar Jackson, uh, you know, Jalen Hurts, all those big deals that got done last year, that's not the template anymore for 2024. You know, the template is, okay, those contracts plus 8% more. We all know, the, the, you know, the, the price of milk has gone up. It's just the, the fact of life. It's the price of quarterbacks go, have gone up too for, for different reasons than the price of milk, obviously. But, um, and, and okay, so really here are what the, the true values of these contracts are based on when they're signed in 2024 dollars. Like if these guys would sign a contract today, what would those numbers be? Uh, and I went through them and it's crazy, man. Joe Burrow's contract today would be five years, $296.7 million. That's a $59.3 million AAV. $60 million basically to be the new true highest paid player in NFL history. $60 million in Fonde. That's two ain't getting that, okay? It's just, it's just it is not happening. There's... In, in no world in the spring of 2024 is he getting that contract yep. for all the reasons we just talked about his health, late season struggles, the fact that they have his rights for $45 million a year over the next three years, mm-hmm. just, just not going to happen. Uh, the second highest paid player uh, in today's dollars is Russell Wilson, which has to be the worst contract um, in the history of the game. That doesn't include uh, before, since they've gone to the rookie wage scale. Yeah. Yeah. 
Demarcus Russell, all that, when when there was no rookie wage scale and the number one pick was getting paid like he was a seven or eight year vest. Those days are done, right? So Russell Wilson in today's dollars, $57.1 million AUD. Uh, Justin Herbert, 56.6. Lamar Jackson, 56.1. Uh, Patrick Mahomes, 55.1, which that, that that contract is still the best value, one of the best values you'll ever find. That 10 years, $450 million. My guess is at some point that's going to get tore up and redone. Yeah. Uh, Jalen Hurts, $55 million AEV. That contract doesn't look great in retrospect. And then you start getting into rational world, okay? Is is, is Tua better than Kyler Murray? Kyler Murray in today's dollars, $53.7 million AEV. Is he better than Deshaun Watson? Uh, 53.6. Not better than Josh Allen. Again, another one of these great value contracts. Even in today's dollars, Josh Allen's $53.6 million AEV. That's a phenomenal contract for the Bills. Uh, and then we start getting into reality. Okay, and this is, I think, the world that the Dolphins want to live in if they extend Tua. And I think they that is 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 Tua in the same neighborhood of a player as Dak Prescott, Matt Stafford, and Daniel Jones? I would say that's you can quibble with some of them. I think he's better than Daniel Jones. Might not be better than Dak. Maybe he is. Maybe it's similar. Then and Dak might get a new contract anyway. Then we're Dak might be the one to get sixty million this offseason. Okay, well, that would be a mistake. That would, uh, it would, I'm not saying I would do it. but So in today's dollars, the contracts they signed, the value today of what those players are based on the contracts they signed, in Dak's case three years ago, in Stafford's case two years ago, in Daniel Jones' case last year, um, 49.9 for Dak, 56.6 for Stafford, 43.2 for Daniel Jones. Me, what I would do – and again, I'm sorry I'm let you talk, but I've given this a lot of thought. Uh, what I would do is this. Tua, you've proved you're a good quarterback. You have not proven you're a great quarterback, right? We, we, we know that we can win a certain number of games with you. We're going to be in the playoff hunt every year. Don't know if you can get us over the hump, but you're a player that we want to keep because the cost of not having you is exorbitant, particularly when you have this core together, Right. And we also want a quarterback that's health, that's happy and healthy. We want a quarterback that's not pissed off at his GM and his head coach for promising to talk to, you know, legitimately talk about an extension in the offseason, not doing it. We're also not going to tie ourselves to you for five years. It's just not going to happen. You have not, you have not, again, you say this in a nice way, you have not deserved a Joe Burrow contract. You haven't. You have not deserved, I mean, Talking about Justin Herbert desired a Justin Herbert contract, but Justin Herbert got a Justin Herbert contract. Do you want to make that decision? I don't know if it's a mistake yet, but do you want to make that decision? Are you in the same stratosphere as Lamar Jackson at this point? No. Just because it's your turn doesn't mean that you should be paid like them. And there needs to be a middle class. There does. So what I would do, I would say, all right, Tua, we think you're closer to Daniel Jones than we think you are Patrick Mahomes, okay? If you think the Daniel Jones contract plus inflation, which would be four years, $172.6 million, $43.2 million AAV, uh, you think that's insulting? We think it's reasonable, but we'd be even willing to go up to Matt Stafford. You know, how about four years, $186.4 million, 46.6? My guess is that's somewhere in the neighborhood it'll be. And that's your final offer. Daniel, I, I, I talked to an agent last night. He's like, I would advise my client to take that offer if the Dolphins are offering it now. 
uh, you've got to, you have to be having a dollar more than what it would be if you franchise it two times. Right. And so, so it's probably closer to Matt Stafford than Daniel Jones, but regardless, that's, that, that's what you need. That that's the world you can build in and you make it. So it's truly a two year deal that with a third year, if you want to trade him or, you know, cut him for, you know, maybe a $25 million cap over spread over two years, you can do it and move on. And if he stinks in 2024, it's position yourself to draft a quarterback in 2025 and move on. I do think they need to see this window through. Uh, but here's the thing, Infante, he doesn't have a ton of leverage. In fact, I don't think he has any leverage at all at this point. Short of holding out, which he's not going to do, like missing the season, bananas talk, he's not going to do that. You might have an unhappy player in your hands. I think the health and the welfare of the franchise as a whole is more important than one player's feelings. Um, what's his leverage? Like, yeah. right, if, if, if you're – you've got to think that who's your competition for Tua, okay? Uh, and if you play in an outdoor cold-weather stadium, you're not interested in Tua Tungvaluwa. No. You're not. Because I'll tell you who, who, who would be. Who's that? What a great fit he'd be in Atlanta. Dome, NFC South. The NFC doesn't have that many outdoor cold games to begin with. Um and then you have Drake London, you have Kyle Pitts, you have Bijan. I mean, you have talent around him and possibly Bill Belichick coming there. Who okay. Knows? I think they but, can do better because they have a high draft pick. Yeah. I and mean, that's the thing is that do you, do you want to take on that contract when you have a high right. draft pick? And you, these are all the variables you have. To, and is the system right? It, it has to be. You have to pick an offensive play caller that, that knows the Tua game, that knows the Shanahan offense, that knows the McDaniel offense, uh, because you can't have him run the Brian Flores version of Tua. That's, yeah. it will fail. He is not your drop back, throw the ball deep guy. He's just not. Right. He can throw the ball deep, but it's not the same way as that, that they, you know, it's got to be a very specific kind of offense. So you, you've got to have a team that needs a quarterback, got to have a team that either has a dome or plays in warm weather and has the system right. Atlanta, you know, two of the three things, maybe they, maybe they, maybe they hire someone out of the, the, the Shanahan coaching tree. Certainly they're, they're on that list. Teams like San Francisco, if they ever get tired of Brock Purdy, the Rams, the Lions, like there are a handful of teams where it kind of makes sense if you squint, um, but, you know, not to the extent where you have multiple teams. Like if Joe Burrow came on the market, you would have 15 teams bidding for him, right? Yeah. How many teams are going to bid on Tua Tungabailoa? Three, right. four, maybe, maybe. Um, so what's his leverage? Right. right. And he and, also and knows no, that he's better with McDaniel than he is without. Right. And that's the other got, part of it. So you got my closing argument. Uh, yeah. He loves Mike McDaniel. He knows Mike McDaniel's helped make his career. OK. Um, is he willing to sacrifice that for another five or six million dollars a year? Don't know. Probably. Like, if Again, if I was advising him, I would have him weigh all these options. What's the most important thing to you to uh, Is it? Top, top, top possible dollar. And I even think that if he goes to the market, he is not going to get anywhere near $60 million a year. Right. Be much, much closer to 50 and probably under a year. So if the Dolphins are offering 40, 46 a year, you think you can get 49. And by the way, you get that now. Okay. Maybe the Dolphins trade him this offseason if they don't, if they feel like they're never going to get a contract done with him. You trade him now and you get some value out of him. And you don't have a quarterback when your window is still open to win. Okay. So the, the likeliest scenario is two is a quarterback 
this year and probably next year as well. The Dolphins have to crack a contract in which makes him happy, uh, but also doesn't hamstring him them for years and years to come. Uh, one more point. I've talked a lot about this, and I apologize for it. Uh, Mike McDaniel's a really bright guy. I'm sure he watched the Adam Gase experiment here in Miami. I'm sure he did his research on the Adam Gase experiment before he took the Dolphins' job. Adam Gase bear-hugged himself to a quarterback he didn't draft that had limitations. And you know what? He got fired because of it. Now, certainly he didn't do the playoffs in his first two seasons like McDaniel has. And the McDaniel's offense was far and away better than anything Gase has ever done. Far and away. I would argue the personnel was far and away better than anything Gase had either. That's neither here nor there. But McDaniel has the awareness to see, okay, I like this guy. I don't know if I love him. Okay, I like this guy. I think what we need in this moment is him to be the best version of himself. Um, the, probably the best way to do that is to give him a contract extension that gives him some guaranteed money that, that feels like to him that we're bought in, but also still protects us. If that all can get done, Infante, I think a deal gets done. If not, you're talking fifth-year option and, 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 and then who knows in 2025. So do you think there's a world where he actually plays – or at least starts the season on the fifth-year option. Oh, 100%. Oh, I, I, I think, yeah, because the alternate universe, for him not, you know, how am I going to say this the right way? Yeah, to prevent that, either Dolphins overpay or he takes less than than he thinks he's worth. Like that's, you think Chris Greer is smart enough not to overpay, right? I mean, and, and Chris Greer, is this build his final chance? He's been here forever, right? So this... This current team that they're going to run it back with, is this his final chance or is he going to get another shot if this goes south in a year or two? Because maybe he doesn't care about the long-term impact, you know? Yeah, I mean, he seemed to me, he does not ever, ever reek of desperation. No. He doesn't. So it's it's weird. I I think he's almost Teflon. I I was about to say that. Uh, Yeah. Yeah, I mean – he, I will say this, he's got an incredibly important draft coming up. Like he has, and I asked him about this yesterday and I asked half jokingly, you're going to have your first round pick, right? And he's like, well, you never know. And I was like, oh my God, man, you need to nail this draft. You have no cap space. And yeah. But well, who's uh, available? You, you never know. I mean, at this rate, tr- trading the first round pick might be just as good or, or better than, than using it. Well, the pr- problem is that if you trade a first-round pick for a player, you're going to need to pay that player. You're going to be a costly player, yeah. Yes, correct. Um, so we'll see. Uh, I don't think team we, – we've seen the Rams have diminishing returns on living year-to-year year like that, and I think at some point you need to get your good young players back in the building. Um, you know, I don't have a great answer on, on Greer. As far as McDaniel is concerned – Tua can always be the fall guy for him unless he goes all in, right? If he goes all in on Tua this offseason, there is no – like, you had the information, bro. It's not like this was two years ago when you, you, were, you, you were forced to take on Tua to, to make him what you have, what he is. Um, you go whole hog and say, okay, can pay him $55 million a year or whatever the number would be, uh, that's on you, bro. Like, seriously. And, and then I think in that case, everyone does get fired. Like, I – 
if, if, if it's, if it's a, if they extend to it and it's a catastrophic failure. And again, we're, we're not, we're talking two years down the road. It's not like it's going right. to happen next right. year, but two, three years down the road, I think it looks vastly different. I think you're, the broader question you're asking me is, can this nucleus survive the core not winning at a high level? Right. Don't know. Probably based on, look, you, I think I talked about this last week. Um, you know, Brian Flores and Adam Gase, you, you can talk about their performance. The, the number one reason they got fired is they didn't get along with the owner and they didn't get along with the, you know, the people they were working with in some degree. Uh, Flores certainly more than, than Gase, uh, but he, like, he would mouth off at Gase and Gase didn't like that. I don't see Mike McDaniel doing that, man. Certainly Chris Greer doesn't do that. You don't survive a quarter century in one organization if you're a hothead. Um, you know, I <laughs> I think they would find a way to make two of the fall guy. And do you if 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 you're Steve Ross and you've had the most success in the last two years of any Dolphins two year stretch in the last twenty years, okay? And that's true. It's hundred percent accurate. It's the most yeah. successful. It's not saying much, but yeah, it's true. Um, and then you fire that dude. That's a terrible look. It's a terrible look for other other coaches that want to come and work there. It's it's a lot of ways. It's bad business to do that. Oh, we're uh, talking about it last so, week though. What happens if it's a repeat of this year next year? Carbon copy. Nine and three, ten and three, then whatever. Will, late season collapse, first round back. exit. Yeah, if if if, if 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 they're losing 45-42, it's a different story. But, right, yes, right. And, and there's nuance involved there, but um Yeah. But if, if it's the offense completely though, 100%. If, if the offense completely vanishes because your quarterback struggles in late in the season and your speed receivers break down. Yeah. Uh I don't I don't think a third straight playoff appearance would cost anybody their job unless it's you know, like McCarthy situation or, you know, Sirianni situation where you believe, you know, you, you, it's different. Okay. It's a, it, again, and a lot of it is how much they're going to um, commit to Tua. If they commit to them, like Pratt, Prescott and, and Jalen Hurts and, and all that, and you're, you, you, you really truly believe it. I, I just think that there's a greater skepticism uh, internally about Tua um, than there was for Dak, certainly when he signed his contract, and even Jalen Hurts a couple of years ago. Okay. So we spent a lot of time here talking about Tua. There's one other thing I wanted to ask you before we get out of here, and that's around the coaching staff, right? If there's going to be changes, it's usually in this next 10-day window. Um, do, do you – what do you foresee? I mean, beyond Frank Smith possibly getting, you know, a head coaching job or whatnot. But as far well, I don't as know. his, his star may have faded over the last month too. Yeah, so. something tells me he'll be back this year. I mean, he's probably a year or two away. He'll probably end up getting a, a shot, uh, assuming they have more um, more games next year, like the first you know 10, 11 games, than the the second half of the season. But regardless, Frank Smith will probably be here. What changes do you think we'll see? Well, Danny Crossman, eh? right? That that was okay. That's what I wanted to ask you first. But okay, yeah. Um, he is a survivor, certainly. Um, you know, I think he came in the first Flores year in 2019, I believe. Uh, we're 2024 now, so. Um, but I think his time has run its course. Uh, those long returns might be the reason that they're they play in, in Arctic conditions and not at home in the first round. Uh, they were bottom five, and I believe both punt and kick return coverage. Mm-hmm. Um, 
there's always been something with special teams over the last few years. Uh, I, I think this is the time that they finally decide to part ways. Um, so, yeah, I think they're looking at a new special team coordinator. I think the broader question is, does Vic want to stick around? Um, I think that there was uh, friction. I don't know what the right word is, but certainly not seeing eye to eye with Jalen Ramsey at times. And Ramsey made some comments from time to time about, hey, you can't ask me about that. That's totally a big decision. Basically, that dude's to blame, not for me. Um, Jalen Phillips and Bradley Chubb have long rehabs in front of them. There's no guarantee they're both going to be available for the opener. Xavier uh, Howard made it abundantly clear yesterday that he wouldn't be surprised if he was released. He has, I think, a $25 million cap number next year. Uh, would be among the highest uh, cap expenses for any cornerback in football. There are some changes coming, right? Uh, Van Ginkle, free agent. Uh, uh, Christian Wilkins, what do you do with him? We haven't even gotten to that yet. I mean, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of nuance to this, and it's entirely possible that the 2024 Dolphins defense is not as talented as the 2023 Miami Dolphins defense. Does Vic want to stick around for that? I the fact that McDaniel didn't say yesterday when I was like. Might, I asked him, like, this might sound like a silly question, but is Vic going to be back next year? And he said, there are no silly questions at this point of the year. It's got to be to me and in, in, in some part of his brain, like, hey, is, do I have to find a new D.C.? I don't know so much about, you know, the lower level assistance, quality control, yeah. you know, linebackers, coach, things like that. I, I can't speak to that. I think you're just basically asking about the bigger ones. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, in order of likely to return, I would say that's the order. Frank Smith one, Vic Fangio two, and Danny Crossman three for the three coordinators. And in general, I mean, someone like a Daryl Bevel and a Wes Welker and those guys, it seems like the offensive staff is pro- would probably return unless they get, you know, promotions elsewhere. Right. Yeah. No, I think he, by and large, really likes the staff he built. Um, you know, Mike puts a lot on himself. Uh, I don't know if that, that, I don't know how much maybe he did. I don't know how much his staff failed him down the stretch, but I think he's going to internalize a lot of the decisions that were made, particularly on the offensive side of the ball and point the, the finger at himself before he, you know, crushes somebody else. Yeah. And do you think he, I know he said every, all options are on the table about play calling, right? He said that, you know, the, the, something run along, along the lines of, you know, the team failed and play calling was certainly, you know, part of that. Um, do you, do you think he'd ever give up play calling? That's a great question. Um, we had a spirit debate in the media room yesterday when the four hours between open locker room and, and that press conference about a ton of things. And his answer was a little surprising, but I think he also learned from, you know, not that he's Brandon Staley, he's a much better coach than Brandon Staley, but the indignant, you know, response, the digging your heels in, I'm calling this defense and basically stop asking in the words of Nick Saban. Um, I think he's 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 learned from that. Even if in the back of his mind is like these guys are idiots, I'm calling plays. I just have a quarterback that couldn't get it done, right? Um, but the, I think the fact that he he in the immediate aftermath of a, an enormously like, like <laughs> talked to I talked to some a group text with a bunch of my friends, or some are in the media, some aren't. Like, was that a worse collapse than going from nine and two to nine and seven? I mean, three game lead with five to play. The offense, 15.5 points per game over the last four games, completely vanishing. Uh, the chance to have the one seed and host – yeah, have the one seed, but even still, just beat Tennessee, the two seed, 
uh, not have to travel any time before the AFC Championship game to literally freezing their asses off uh, in Kansas City. It doesn't get much worse than that, does it? I mean, certainly Philadelphia is like, hold my beer, but. Um, yeah, no, you know, it's, it's certainly, it, it, it might not be worse then, but it's equal, equally worse mm-hmm. um, in my head. And I'll, I'll always think back to the Tennessee game, like I said earlier, that's not so much a collapse, but I view it as a missed opportunity. A collapse, if they lost on Christmas Eve as well, and they really just collapsed, but they they pulled themselves up a little bit there before these final three games. It, it, it's a story. It's a season of missed opportunity to me because the AFC isn't that good, and they had a shot at at least a two seed by beating a team that is, is, is bad, um, mm-hmm. starting a rookie quarterback. And, and, and they, they, hadn't, and they, they hadn't had a lead. And they hadn't lost to one of those teams all year. That's right. The thing, that, right. That's and the it was at home and on national team. I mean, that, that, that's the story of, of the season in my head when I look back. That that will be what I remember. Watching and, it right yeah. next to our chief content officer, by the way, David Behrman. We were suffering <laughs> sure together, you know watching the only game we watched together all year, and that's the one. I'm sure he handled that with grace. Um, yeah, no, and, and, and just as it haunts you, it's going to haunt the hell out of McDaniel. And to me, he is – I've never, I've only known him for a couple of years. I've never known him as a guy that doesn't accept information that is a little discordant in his brain, right? Like he, he's not one of those that has this insular information, information loop, right? He is aware. He is aware of a lot of things. He's certainly aware of narratives. He's aware of limitations. He's aware of a lot of things. And, you know, I think he, to my point, to the point I was making earlier, he's going to take a lot of it on himself, the failures that they had. And I think he's going to learn from them. Like I, I do. I think from, and he even made this point himself in 2000. What was the big storyline in 2022? Pre-snap penalties. Uh, pre-snap. Pre-snap yeah, penalties. Not really that much of an issue. This I know they had a false start, an untimely false start, but really not that much of an issue. They had a bad illegal formation play against, against Kansas City there in that second possession. Where it was third and one, they ran for two yards, and they got called back, and the next play yeah. was the interception. But yeah. but yeah, in general, your point remains, yes. That and getting the play snap, you know, the good play call in and avoiding delay of games, yes. That was improved upon this year. Yeah. So, and, and the point you made yesterday was it, it didn't improve by accident. It improved because they made it a point of emphasis. So they know what their limitations are. They know what their failures are. The question is, can that be overcome solely by coaching and strategy and all that, or do you just have a collection of players that I want to call them the land of misfit toys, but there are a lot of players on that team that what they can do well, they do great, but they can't do a lot else. Right. Yeah. Uh, do you, do you build a more versatile offense in 2024 with limited resources? If we see that out of McDaniel, then I, then I have confidence that, 2024 will have a better outcome in 2023. Well, we will uh, we will certainly see. The, 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 there's a lot this offseason that has to get addressed. But, you know, coaches, players, long-term contracts. So it's gonna it's gonna be a lot going on. Um, and, and kind of seeing what the team looks like then when we all convene back in 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 August. And um, well, you're talking like that. We're not going to discuss every little. No, I know. It's just it's funny now, that here right. we are mid-January, and I'm saying that again. Um, 
it, it feels like every year I, I, I'm not on a podcast saying it, but I'm saying it to my friends and other Dolphin fans. And it's just, it, it's a rinse and repeat thing. Can I, can, I just, give you a li- can I just give you a little bit of uh, perspective? Sure. I mean, they were, they were one of six teams to win 11 games this past year, right? They were one of very few teams to make the playoffs in back-to-back seasons. Okay. Um, they, they were a top five offense. They were top 10 defense for the vast majority of the season. Y- it could be a lot worse. Okay. And I'm the, people are saying, oh, you're making excuses and you're lowering expectations. It's really bleep and hard to win a Super Bowl, man. And, 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 and the point I'm making is this, and, 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 and so like, oh, like, that was a big point of contention. And we, we, all the conversations we've had in the media about like, who cares if you beat all these bad teams? Well, it's a big improvement over not beating those bad teams, right? And that's what the majority of the league is year in, year out, and what the vast majority of Dolphins seasons have been over the last 25 years. So to think that they're not in a much better place now than they were three years ago, come on. Let's let's have a little bit of perspective. Do I think it's good enough? Absolutely not, right? Like they they need to get better this coming off season. But every step of the way they have, right? This staff, every step of the way they have gotten better. And honestly, every step of the way, the quarterback's gotten better too. Yeah. So maybe don't write them off yet. Let's see 2024. And again, getting back to the contract, and I know this is long-winded, give yourself the opportunity to make 2024 the best possible year you can. Don't kill yourself 2025, 2026, 2027. Nope. Totally agree. Totally agree. Um, and, and, and certainly, um, we'll, we'll, we'll be here as, as this off season unfolds. Um, and you should join us as well. If you haven't subscribed yet to the podcast, please do. Cause you know, we've been doing this since August. Like, come on. <laughs> um, if you're watching on YouTube, be sure to like, and subscribe there as well. And, uh, Adam, we will talk again. Who knows what ch- in the next seven days, what may change for the dolphins? Um, could be there already could be some coaching you know changes uh there'll probably be more rumors and speculation around some of the free agents that the dolphins have as well as what they're going to do to us so it's going to be an eventful january even if it's not the january that we uh hope it would be and i am on location at the pro bowl starting february 1st so uh plenty of dolphins content there because they have six pro bowlers they do when was the last time we could say that it's been a while since they've had that many. It has Pro been Bowl. a long time, yes. It's been a long time. Um, in the grand scheme, I get the Pro Bowl don't matter, but it, it matters to them. So congratulations to the six that will. And be. and it matters because it makes you feel like a legitimate franchise. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. As opposed to a team like the Patriots that have zero Pro Bowlers. Correct. They are not a legitimate franchise anymore. anymore. Okay. Well, we 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 are done. We are out. It is time to go. We will see you back here next week on the Pro Football Network Miami Dolphins podcast.